This episode of On the Beat is brought to you by Ingles. Shop online with Ingles curbside pickup. New curbside stores opening every week. Please welcome Mike Griffith. Well, hey everybody, Mike Griffith here. Welcome to tonight's live presentation of Ingles on the Beat. I know you guys have been itching for a live show. You're going to get it tonight. If you've got questions, hit me up. Got a really cool guest, Emily Gagnon from ANF, and you see her uh, every week. She was down there in Jacksonville. I'm going to talk to Emily about the Florida game. I'm going to talk to Emily about the Missouri game. We're going to talk quarterbacks, uh, possible upsets. Nobody wants to hear that, but man, Georgia is on upset watch the rest of this year. Each of these opponents, except for maybe Georgia Tech, maybe Georgia Tech, but I think each of these next three opponents, if you play Georgia 20 times, Maybe they could get them once, but will their number come up? I don't know. This week, it's Missouri, but last Saturday, I want to start with that. Big win over the Florida Gators, and now I bring on Emily. Emily, you were down there for that game, and when the Gators went down the field and scored on that opening drive, did you have any doubt? I didn't have any doubts. It's the third time, though, this season the dogs have allowed an opening drive touchdown. I did ask head coach Kirby Smart about that after the game. I also asked um, Javon Bullard about it, and Kirby laughed because Bull said, yeah, we just got to wake up. And so I told Kirby that, and of course he laughed at that. He thought that was funny, but he's not reading too much into the fact that they are giving up uh, touchdowns on that first drive uh, three times, like I said, this season in back-to-back games, right? So they did so against Vandy. They did it against Florida. I wasn't necessarily worried, but I did think if this were the defense of the last two seasons, that wouldn't be happening, right? I think dog fans have become so accustomed to, and me for the last two years, seeing that dog's defense just stop opponents and and you know their favorite saying don't let anybody in our end zone like that was truly the motto uh in 2021 and 2022 uh this defense is a little different this year i don't think they're as strong as the last two years but that's not to say they're strong uh not strong at all i should say um but it's been interesting to watch the dogs this season because you know if you're a fan you're happy that they're undefeated but you definitely had some breakdowns throughout games this season i love to gauge reaction from fans uh during these like tougher games where they're just like biting their lip and, and they're you know they're just so nervous this season which they haven't been the last couple years because they've blown out you know a lot of opponents that they were supposed to in years before and now it's just not happening it's just tougher this year for them to get these wins yeah you know it's funny four out of five games in the sec georgia's trailed this year and by at least a touchdown not not by just a minute like 10 points in two games vandy could have made it 10 i will say it was a different georgia team that took the field in jacksonville than the one we saw in Nashville. I, I thought Nashville was the worst. And, and again, they've won 24 in a row, 25 in a row. But of the 25 wins, I think the Vanderbilt game was probably the least impressive because it looked like everything that could go wrong went wrong. You think about it, Carson Beck had a fumbled snap. He threw an interception. He overthrew players. It just The whole Vanderbilt scene was just a bad scene. And they needed that week off so bad. And then when Florida went down the field and scored, I'm thinking, oh, my gosh. Uh, But, you know, you got to give Mike Bobo and Carson Beck a lot of credit. And, you know, that offense was resilient. Lad McConkey, I mean, I know Kirby said one guy wasn't going to fill Brock Bauer's shoes, Emily. But I think Lad pretty much filled. I mean, it was six catches for 135 yards. I mean, Lad picked a pretty good day to have his best career performance. Yeah, you know. 
Carson Beck, can we just start there really quickly? I mean, he's from Jacksonville, and everybody knows that by now. Um, but talking to him after the game, you knew that game meant a lot to him. But he's like, I and I thought it meant a lot to him because he was back home. He said, you know, 40 to 50 tickets to friends and family. Uh, his mom took care of that, so he didn't really want to give us the exact count. But, um, you know, for him, I thought, you know, this is big for him because he's playing in his hometown. A lot of people will be there to watch. But he said, and it completely, this is not something I've ever thought of. It, it's very simple. He's like, I've been waiting four years to play in this game so didn't even have to do so much with the fact that he's playing in jacksonville because like i've been waiting four games to play, uh, four four years to play in this game florida georgia or georgia florida which by the way i say florida georgia because i went to high school and college there and dog fans they are ruthless when it comes to that with me mike <laughs> they do not like the fact that i call it florida georgia and it's not that i have an allegiance with any of the teams it's just the fact that i went to high school and college there and that's why i heard it called for so long but dog fans are like that is trash <laughs> like we don't want you talk calling it that you're an atlanta reporter so guys i'm sorry it's not like i'm cheering for one or the other it's just what happens anyhow um for carson beck it was a big moment for him and lad who i talked to as well said like he could tell throughout the week how badly Carson wanted to play in that game and, and what it meant to him. And, and Ladd was so happy to be able to do what he did. Only one other in his career has had over 100 receiving yards, and it just so happens to be that he had 135 as well his freshman year against Auburn. And I asked him, I said, hey, when's the last time you had 100 yards? And he was like, Auburn. He knew it right away. <laughs> Some players don't really pay attention to their stats, but he knew. He's like, that's the only other game I've had over 100 yards receiving. So it was uh, it was funny to, to you know, finally talk to him and, and talk to him in a sense that he knew he made a huge difference in that game. And having a healthy lad McConkie definitely helps um, – when it comes to not having Brock Bowers and in every game, right? Let's say Lad next game against Mizzou doesn't step up as much as he did against Florida. There's going to have to be a one guy who steps up in every single game. And I know Kirby said it's going to be done by committee and everybody has to chip in and, and yeah, sure. You know, eight different receivers caught passes from Carson Beck um, against Florida, but there will have to be one guy who separates himself because that's what Brock did. Brock separated himself from the pack. And I don't think that every receiver can have like 50 yards and you know, whatever. I, I don't believe me myself. I don't believe that. I think it'll have to be one guy. And you brought up a good point a couple of weeks ago, Mike, when you and I talked about the fact that like love it and rah-rah, you know, have not probably stepped as much stepped up as much as you wanted them to just a touchdown each I think since they have um, played for Georgia and you would like them to maybe you know score more which I agree with you completely agree with you I just don't know if they're as explosive as Lad McConkey and to be fair I don't know many people that are I think Lad has really gone under the radar you know he almost went pro after last year I don't think people realized how close Lad was to going pro and he probably would have been a third or a fourth round pick and you saw why I saw that his miles per hour topped out at 19 miles per hour. Listen, that's not even full speed for this guy. This guy's faster than that. He's getting back to closer to 100%. He's healthy enough and he's playing pain-free, but he's still missing that fifth gear. He's fast and he's fast enough to run away, but there is more in the tank for Lad McConkie and he's going to command a lot of attention. And, you know, I think that in addition to replacing Brock Bauer's pass catching prowess and explosivity, you had to replace him as a blocker. And I thought that was really where Oscar Delp stepped up. I mean, yeah, he he made a one-handed catch and fell down after 18 yards. Like, you know, people are like, oh, my God, it's just like Brock Bowers. I'm like, no, actually, it's not. <laughs> Brock caught it and kept running and gone 60 yards. But still a really good play. And, yes, a step in the right direction. But I thought what Oscar did at the line of scrimmage was even bigger, Emily. When I think to Carson Beck's performance, and 
any quarterback has to rely on the skill position players around him. And obviously Stetson, you know, he, he had a buffet of players. He had Darnell Washington. He had Kenny McIntosh and Brock Bowers and a Donnie Mitchell and a healthy lad. And, and then Stet could do it with his feet. I don't think Carson has as many weapons. And I think Carson has to be more patient. And so I think it was really big that the offensive line gave him all that protection. There were times Florida sent pressure and Carson did a nice job audibling to the right protections and that offensive line, they really held up and they really knocked Florida off the ball. I thought Dejon Edwards did a really nice job. You know, when Kirby Smart was asked about Dejon today, I couldn't help but laugh a little bit because he said the first thing was the blocking. I mean, that's not exactly the first way, you know, usually with a running back, all explosive. He's like, well, the offensive line, look, Dejon is going to get you what's there. And then he's going to get you three or four more. I like this guy. He wears you down. He's a blue collar back, but he's not a home run hitter. And Lad McConkey is your home run hitter. I want to see if Lawson Lucky gets more involved. He played 30 snaps and they didn't throw to him, but that's the most snaps he's played by far. He played nine and 10 in the two preceding games. This is the move tight end. This is the guy who does a lot of the things that Brock did as far as where he lines up. He's an impressive skill player. I wonder if he will get more involved. Now, I want to turn the page to the defense because I thought the biggest play of the game was number two. I thought it was Smile Munden. Number one, I think it was Billy Napier calling the, you know, neighborhood football snap it between the quarterback's legs. Has to be one of the worst play calls I've ever seen in my life. His quarterback was nine of nine passing in the first quarter, and he went with this trick play. Tell me, what was your reaction when the Gators went for it from their own 34, and what were your thoughts on the play selection? Well, listen, I think they were just trying to get something going, Mike. I mean, for me, when you look at a team that does something like that, it's desperation mode almost, and and that was a pivotal point in the game. And I think they were just trying to do anything uh, to get ahead, and it obviously didn't work. When it comes to Georgia's defense, to, to me specifically against Florida, I was happy to see while you like Mondin, I like JDJ. Um, I think Jamon last season, complete stud. And I'm not saying he's not this year, but he's just not showing up the way that he was last season. Um, I looked at him last year and, and I thought to myself, you know, if he keeps playing like this, he's going to be a first rounder, like hands down. He's going to be the next linebacker drafted in the first round um, out of Georgia. And uh, I just haven't seen him show up like he did last season. But but in that game, particularly against Florida, he had a sack, I think a pass breakup at one point. Um, I, I liked seeing that from JDJ because I do think if you ask me what's missing from this year's defense, and you might not agree with me, it, it's not that it, there aren't any playmakers. And, and we all know that, you know, year in and year out, especially in the last two years or the last two drafts, a lot of defensive guys have come out. Um, but I think the last two years, the national championship winning years, there's been a voice on defense, a very loud one. Um, you can point out who the leader is on defense. You know, you had Jordan Davis and you had, I don't know how vocal Nicobe was, but I know JD specifically in 2021 was very vocal. And then um, last year, I'm trying to think of who I would pick last year, but but it would have been a guy who, who left to the NFL. Um, and I don't think they have that this year. I don't think they have somebody on defense who's the voice. And I and if I had to pick one, though, it would be JDJ. Um, so my thing with Mondin is he's very he's he might be a quiet guy on on defense. He he's a quiet guy when he talks to us. <laughs> and um, but I do I do think Jamon to me finally had like a breakout game. Uh, and I, I expect him to have stronger games from here on out. Yeah, I'd say maybe Chris Smith. Chris Smith was a guy last year, a senior leader, three-year starter. I thought he was, you know, he always came up with big plays. I think maybe Jalen Carter 
albeit Jalen may not have been a big talker, he certainly spearheaded that defense. He was unblockable. And, and I think the, the voice was probably yes. Nolan Smith, even though Nolan That's was good. injured in the Florida game last year, he stayed vocal on the sidelines. So I think you're right. I, I think you wonder who the pulse is. And I think it's been a little bit harder for JDJ without having, I mean, it'd be harder for anybody without 88 in front of you. I mean, I just, I can't say enough about Jalen Carter. I, I can't say his name enough times to say this was a generational talent. This was George's Reggie White. This guy single-handedly destroyed offenses. Go back to the Tennessee game, and he knew what Hendon Hooker had for lunch. I mean, this guy was like having a 12th player on the field. Nobody could block him. Nobody in the NFL can block him. Nobody last year. You don't have that. You have a very good line, okay? Stackhouse and Logue and Brinson. I mean, these guys are still very good. But they're, but they're not legacy players. And I'm with you. I think JDJ had been a little banged up. And I think Bullard yeah. had been a little banged up. And I was watching your interview on ANF the other night after the game on, on uh, the SEC rap show with, with Drew Butler and, and Bonnie and Rennie. And I heard Javon Bullard say that as JDJ goes, yeah. the defense goes. And he had that sort of performance. He was plugging holes. He was making plays now. I wonder what's left in the tank for Jamon Dumas Johnson, Emily, because the schedule is going to get progressively yeah. harder. This next game is a big challenge. And, and I got I got a confession to make. I got myself in this is gonna surprise <laughs> Oh, yeah, I'm gonna I got, little, I got myself in a little bit of trouble on talk radio because I was trying to say, forget the Florida game. It's Monday, it's time to move on to Missouri. And and, and this is where the mind needs to be. And and I get it. Dog fans are like, no. We celebrate this Florida game, 365. And I got to remind myself, you know, I'm not trying to speak on behalf of the fan. You know, long time ago, long time ago, I was a Denver Broncos fan. Long time ago, John Elway guy. And when they played the Oakland Raiders or the LA Raiders, I I was all in. And and I hated the Raiders and it meant everything and, and yada, yada, yada. So I get it. But up here in Athens, trying to stay in the huddle with Kirby and the team and trying to understand where the team is at, these guys have to understand what's coming. They have to understand that this Missouri team is 7-1 and one with a really impressive win over a very good Kansas State team. That team was no joke. Ask Houston. They just blew up Houston last weekend. They, got, they went four quarters with LSU. They lost that game, but they put a lot of points up. This is a tested team that's been waiting a year, Emily, to get another crack at Georgia after what happened. We're going to take a short break, right? And when we come back, we're going to talk about this Missouri game. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about the Missouri team. I want to get your take on what Georgia has to do to beat Missouri. And then we'll look ahead. We'll peek ahead just a little bit. We'll break Kirby's rule. We'll peek ahead past Missouri. We'll look at Ole Miss and Tennessee and Georgia Tech. But right now, I want to recognize our sponsor, Ingalls. That Ingles sells more organics than any other store, or that they run their own dairy, or that they only serve USDA choice and prime meat? Did you know that they have more local craft beer than any place else, or that they have energy smart stores, or that they professionally slice and package imported cheese from Europe? Did you know about their giant international aisle, local farm partnerships, curbside pickup, wine department, or that they donate 3,956 meals a day to local food banks? Well, now you do. It's all in the bag. Ingles, low prices, love the savings. Welcome back to the program and joined by Emily Gagnon again of ANF. And, man, you do a tremendous job. 
the, the amount of hustle you put in and the amount of interviews you do in Athens, Emily, I think you outwork everyone. And I really have a lot of respect for your work. Really appreciate you coming on tonight and joining us and, and giving us uh, your insights. You've been covering Georgia football a long time, as well as the Atlanta sports scene. Before we dive into the second half, let me ask you, because I do see you at all of these events. What are, what are your favorite things to cover? Oh, it's in Georgia that? football. It's not even close. And guys, like I get to cover everything for anybody watching, listening, you know, Falcons, uh, Dogs, Georgia Tech, Hawks, Atlanta United, Braves. And a lot of people think I'm crazy when they're like, wait a minute, you don't enjoy covering like Braves postseason more than Dogs? I'm like, absolutely not. The fan base for UGA is unreal. Whether you guys are happy with me or not. And Mike, you felt the wrath before. You know, you've you felt the wrath from fans. You know, they they disagree with you a lot when you speak against their team. But that, that's part of it, right? That's part of what makes this fun and what makes it great is is the passion from the fans and how much they love the dogs. And I learned very quickly when I moved here. I thought, oh, this is a pro town. You know, the Falcons. You got all these big pro teams. No, mm -mm. this is UGA's town. Okay, I'm in Atlanta, Georgia, right now, and and. This has nothing to do with any of the pro teams around us. UGA drives the ratings, UGA all day. I mean, I learned that within a month of me living in Atlanta. Um, I knew the SEC was big, obviously, but I just never would have guessed that UGA would have been the number one thing uh, that people watch the most here in Georgia and specifically Atlanta. And, and, you know, I learned that very, very fast. But yeah, it's fantastic. And, you know, we're, and we're really, truly, we're watching the greatest era of Georgia football history. I mean, the numbers tell you that, right? They've won 25 in a row. That's a school record. And if they win this next game against Missouri, that's going to tie the school record for consecutive home wins. That was, you know, a lot of people thought that was unbreakable with Herschel Walker and the great Vince Dooley. And here they're on the brink of doing that in an era when the SEC is, is so deep and so competitive and transfer portal and NIL and kids going out early. And, and yet they continue to win. Uh, this is 20 weeks now at number one. No SEC team has ever been ranked 20 consecutive weeks at number one. And again, this is in the most competitive era with the most parity that college football's ever seen. So I double down all the time on Kirby Smart. And it's, it is interesting because I catch the wrath of Georgia fans because I provide some critical analysis right. on the team. But then I catch the wrath of SEC fans that say I'm a big Kirby <laughs> Smart homer because every year I say, why isn't this guy national coach of the year? Nobody's done. So in, in the case I made was this. 2021 preseason, USA Today comes out with their preseason All-CC team. No first-team dogs on defense. No first-team dogs on offense in 2021. That team wins a national oh, title. So okay, okay. Kirby Smart. Next year, following year, okay, they lose 15 guys to the NFL draft, a record. Five first-rounders, 13 guys in the portal, four starters. They go 15 and 0. Only the second team to go, Kirby Smart National. No, no, Kirby Smart National. Got to give it to the TCU coach, right? So here we are, 8-0. This team's had more injuries than they've ever had in history, okay? They lost their quarterback. They've got a new offensive coordinator. They're replugging the safety. They lost the best defensive lineman they've ever had in history. They lost their defensive end. You talked about it earlier, Nolan Smith. They lost their playmaking running back. They lost their go-to X receiver. Their other perimeter receiver missed the first four games. They're 8-0, number one. And I'm hearing about Eli Drinkwitz being the next Nick Saban and being coach of the year. Hey, he's got a loss, okay? I just don't think Kirby Smart gets his due. And I'll ask you this because you do deal with a lot of different coaches. And I think you and I both have kind of learned to enjoy Kirby a little bit more. Is that the right way to put it? How would you talk about the way Kirby Smart deals with media 
and the experience of a Kirby Smart Press. As someone who's asked him some pretty tough questions. Um, before. I think that you better bring your best question for Kirby. And you might sweat a little bit before you say it. You know what I'm saying? You're like, wait a minute, it's my turn. I better phrase this correctly. Um, listen, Kirby doesn't want questions that that he he wants to, he just wants to promote the program i guess that's all i want to say he doesn't want to answer everything he doesn't want his opponents to know anything um he i understand why he does what he does and it's because it took me years to understand it right and i think i told you mike and i'll tell this to anybody as long as kirby's winning he can say what he wants to us or not say what he wants to us it doesn't matter because as long as he's winning it is what it is it's his world uh, i often tell people he's the president of georgia I mean, Kirby runs this state, in my opinion. Um, so, you know, sometimes it's not enjoyable, the things that he answers you with, <laughs> if you ask a harder question. But these questions need to be asked. At the end of the day, that is our job. We're, we're not paid to be friends with Kirby. If, you know, plays happen that we don't like, or, you know, fans don't like, we need to ask these questions. And um, fans will always side with Kirby. So it doesn't matter when it comes to us. You know, you just ask the question, keep moving. And and I do think those state, I'm not saving. I do think Kirby respects you though, like respects when you ask questions and, and even if he doesn't answer them in the nice, you know, most tasteful way, he respects you for asking the questions. Yeah. He, I think he understands our job. And I think sometimes he likes to have a little bit of fun with the media. I mean, I think, I think Kirby's somewhat combative, like just in general, like just in life. I, you know, hey, Kirby, it's a nice day. No, it's not. Kirby, it's raining. No, there's partly cloudy and sun. I mean, he just, that's part, but that's part of Kirby Smart, that competitive, combative chip on the shoulder. You know, I covered a coach like that at Michigan State. And I remember I was talking to one of his PR guys. I said, you know, if Mark D'Antonio would just be a little bit nicer to the media, he'd get a lot more respect and love. And, and he'd say, yeah, but then he wouldn't be Mark D'Antonio. So Kirby's Kirby. Kirby's gonna Kirby. And I think this year, though, I, I, I have felt a calmer, nicer I agree. Kirby. I agree. Yes. Right? I think he jokes, knows laughing a little team, bit. Yes. Well, I think he understands. Like, the, to me, a lot of what we're seeing is icing on the cake, really, because, I mean, look, they're 8-0. And, 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 yes, there's still three games left that could go anyway. But I think he's really proud of the way the team's come on. I think he's enjoying this process more because I think the last two years – I think Kirby knew that he had the best team in the country. He knew it. And when you know you got the best team, there's pressure and you have to win. I think Kirby knows this year's team isn't as dominant. It isn't as obvious that they're not as clear cut of a number one as maybe 2021 and I agree 2022. With that. This team wholeheartedly. Right? And I think Saban's the one who said it. I think it might've been the year they lost to uh, Georgia in the national championship. I think uh, Saban said that, he didn't expect that team to make it as far as they did. So it was the most satisfying year because he just could not believe that they made it to the national championship despite losing. He was so happy with how that team handled itself and, and how far they were able to go. And I found that interesting. And, and, and you know, Mike, I, I once read that the most successful people, um, they when they win, they don't really think they're winning. And so that's why I think Kirby is the way he is, is because when he wins, he always knows – 
a minute after that win, even though he says he enjoys the night, I, I don't believe that he enjoys the night. I believe that he's going to go out with the recruits that night or do whatever he has to do with the recruits. And then he moves on to the next game because he's never satisfied. Su su successful people are never satisfied. Uh, again, from this article I read and I found it so interesting and, and I kind of compared it to coaches. I was like, well, this is why coaches are the way they are. Even though, you know, as fans, you go out that night, you celebrate, you celebrate to the next game. Um, coaches don't do that. They're literally, I mean, I am positive that night after they won against Florida, Kirby and, and some of his staff members started watching Mizzou. I mean, they had already watched film, I'm sure, but they were already, you know, on, on to Mizzou, even though Kirby always says like, we enjoy the night. I don't believe that he does. I don't, I just, winners don't do that. Yeah, no, I'm with you. The, the cup's never full, right? As Kirby says, you know, he had a saying a couple of years ago and it stuck with me. If it ain't broke, find a way to make it better. Like, yeah. I'd never heard that. Like, you know what? I mean, he's constantly, and, but because that's what it takes, you know, to stay at the top, right? Complacency, just you and I know you say the word complacency and steam comes out of his ears. It's just don't ever be happy with where you're at. Don't ever think that you couldn't, do, you couldn't have done it better. He creates that mentality where even his players have that same mindset. And I think that's part of what makes Georgia so special is that these players understand that they've never arrived. I remember Nicobe Dean telling the story about how Kirby came up to him and said, you look pretty tired today. You were up late last night studying. And Nicobe said, yeah, coach, I got an exam. And Kirby said, nobody cares. Remember that? That was like a logo, like nobody cares. That was the saying. Nobody cares. Nobody wants to hear why you didn't get it done. Nobody wants to hear excuses of why you lost. This is a nobody cares job for all these Georgia. Nobody cares. So I'm going to tell you why you should care about Missouri, though. They've got a guy named Cody Schrader, and, and this is their version of Stetson Bennett, okay? Because this guy is a walk-on from Truman State, a Division II school who walked on and was a ninth-string tailback, and he's moved himself up, up, up the depth chart. He is second in the SEC in rushing. Kirby raves about this guy. He said, guys bounce off him. I guess he had to have like 60, you know, cc's of hemoglobin taken out of his leg last week. I don't even know what that means, but I, I guess that means he's a tough guy who's been playing hurt. But we're going to see just how tough this guy is. Because Missouri's going to try to run a match. They got this guy named Brady Cook. Speaking of Stetson Bennett, Eli Drinkwitz is like, yeah, I made him compete for his job in the preseason. And then I made him compete for his job in the first game. And he doesn't want to come off the field because this freshman, Sam Horn, if he goes in, he may not come off the field. And I'm like, wow, that's a heck of a compliment, coach. You're saying you might pull this guy and not put him back in. Brady Cook went on the field against Kansas State. He got booed by his own fans this year. So, I mean, this Missouri team is hard scrabble. These are the same guys last year that had Georgia pinned down. They had Georgia down 10 points in the fourth quarter. And I said it on, on Feinbaum last week. I said they choked. And so many Missouri fans got mad. I don't know any other way to say it, Emily. If you're up 10 on the number one team in the country in the fourth quarter and somebody jumps on a, on a first and goal from the one-yard line, I mean, that's kind of emblematic of what that word means. So let me ask you, when you look at Missouri, how real is the threat? All right, dog fans, brace yourselves. Um, my thing with Georgia this season is I don't like how I'm not seeing consistency. Week in and week out, this is my opinion, guys, do not, do not come for me. I'm just saying that I don't think that Georgia has an identity yet because we just haven't seen enough of one thing yet. And, and you could disagree with me, Mike, but when you think of this Georgia team, what's the one thing you're like, oh, this is what I'm used to seeing on a Saturday? Well, guess what? There's not one thing. There isn't. So to me, that's my problem with Georgia this week, uh, this year. And that's why I 
when the season started, we saw that schedule. We saw, oh, it's the easiest one in the country. Now all of a sudden we're like, oh, this is a tough schedule. Um, and that's because the dogs haven't shown up every single week. It got tough all of a sudden because we don't know who the dogs are. And I need to see more of one thing from them. I don't care what it is. Just one thing I need to see more of to be like, oh, that's how Georgia's going to win every single week, no matter who they face. And that's my problem right now. And so when they play Mizzou on Saturday, more than likely for the East, because I don't think they can clinch it until Ole Miss. Um, I don't know what I'm going to see against Mizzou, and that's what makes me nervous about this team. Because now, you know, Brock Bowers, you might say, was the one constant, right? He's the one constant. And obviously they did just fine against Florida. But now I'm thinking to myself, all right, now we're on to the next test. What are we going to see from Georgia this week? There's been two convincing wins, only two this season, guys. Any fan, whether you – doesn't matter, big, little, you can honestly say two convincing wins. And they're coming off of one against Florida, and the other one was against Kentucky. But when I saw them play South Carolina, when I saw them play Vandy, I was like, what is this? Like, what is going on? And that I'm not used to saying about Georgia. I mean, I think it's fair. I, look, I think it's fair. I think Carson Beck is playing well. But do we think he's Jaden Daniels at LSU? No. Do we think he's would you in, in an honest world, would you really take him over Spencer Rattler? Probably not. But he has played well. He's made good decisions. This was the first game, Emily, where he didn't have those two or three plays where Kirby says there's always two or three plays Carson makes where he wishes yeah. he could have them back, whether it's missed throws, whether it's fumbling in the pocket. You know, there's still there's still upside for Carson Beck. I look, NFL arm, tremendous at the line of scrimmage. In, incredible processor gets him in the right place. And, and as Kirby said, that, that is, that's 80% of it right there makes beautiful throws, but what does he do without Brock Bauer? What does he do without Superman? Okay. Now he's got the flash out there. He's got lad, but what else, right? Does Dejon Edwards strike you as a guy that's going to start on your fantasy football team someday? I don't think so. So uh, Dylan Bell has come along, but he's certainly not Kenny McIntosh. Kendall Milton looks good, but 10 or 15 yards at a time, he doesn't have the home run speed that he did before the hamstrings. We're waiting on Lovett to show us a burst. You know, he makes catches, but to me, he's he's Kyrus Jackson 2.0, you know, which is a lot, which is good because Kyrus is in the league. He catches the ball. He's tough. He blocks, but he's not explosive. He's not running away from everybody. He's not, you know, if you could combine him and Arian Smith, you'd have an all-star. Incredible speed. Arian needs to be more consistent catching the ball. Where is he at? This was supposed to be his year. He was supposed to be part of the identity. You know, Delp is coming along. Lucky didn't throw the ball to him last week. This is a guy they raved about in the spring. And Ra Ra Thomas made a fantastic catch, but where was he last week? So I'm with you. You don't really know what they're going to do. And, and Kirby's tried to explain it. It's probably the most frustrating thing ever to try to explain, but it goes something like this. Their offense is determined by the defense. And you might say, what in the world are you talking about? They go to the line of scrimmage, and based on what the yeah. defense shows, Emily – Whoever you don't cover or whatever read is there, that it's not like some go like a force it to this guy. Okay, maybe Bowers there was a time, but you don't force it to anybody. I think that's pretty good, but could it get you in trouble? Let me ask you. I'm going to put you on the spot here. They've trailed in four out of five SEC games to this point. Emily, will they trail against Missouri on Saturday? It wouldn't surprise me if they did. It wouldn't surprise me if Missouri scored on the first drive, honestly. I, I just – 
again, like I'm I'm waiting for a complete a complete complete game from defense and offense. And I guess the most complete I've seen was 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 the Kentucky game. I mean, Florida, yeah, great, okay. Um, but I thought Kentucky was a bigger challenge than Florida. I thought I, I still think Kentucky's a better team than Florida. So to me, um, I, yes, if Mizzou was ahead against Georgia, that would not surprise me. If I'm a Mizzou player, I I'm remembering what happened last year and. You know, that shouldn't have happened. What happened with with them last year it was a late game. I think the players were tied. I don't think they, they expected what Mizzou gave them. Um, so if I'm a Mizzou player, I'm giving it my all. And they know it's for the East. Like this, this to me, this game changes everything. And both teams will know that. But I do think Georgia has a better team. So, you know, for me, if Georgia loses this season, I don't think it's going to be against Mizzou. I think it will be against uh, – It'll be at Tennessee or it'll be against Ole Miss. Well, we were just, I was just getting ready to go. I'm with you. I think Sanford Stadium is an unbelievable environment. I, I did a story today. They've played five top 15 matchups in Sanford Stadium in the last five years, going back to that Notre Dame Lawrence Cager oh, game. They've won off. They've won off. Yeah, that, what an incredible night that was. The LED lights kicked in. But Kirby has won nine straight against top 25 teams in Sanford Stadium. you got to go back to Butch Jones and the Hail Mary in 2016. It's the only top 25 team he's ever lost against. Now, I will say at home, at Sanford Stadium, I will say the last time they lost at home, it was to a team that had a week off. That's a little scary. And it was Will Muschamp in South Carolina, a team, by the way, that Eli Drinkwitz beat later that year when he was the head coach at App State. Eli Drinkwitz is getting a lot of pub and a lot of love these days. And, and when one of the callers – said he looked like a young Nick Saban, and, and, and Feinbaum had some – I think he believes it because he did another show earlier this week, and he told everybody how smart he was. And, he, you know, Joe Gibbs, grandkids played for him, and he picked up tricks from the Super Bowl coach, Joe Gibbs. And, you know, he's talking about how you don't try these momentum. And I'm just thinking to myself, this guy is really this – guy, this guy has a lot of confidence. He really feels good about himself. He really does. And Missouri feels really good about themselves. They got this thing, Emily, they called it STP. Hashtag STP. Something to prove. They're doing the monikers like and the that. logos. He said they're set up for November to. Dude, you haven't won enough yet to be saying things like this. Says they're set up for November to remember. If they beat Georgia, they're going to walk all over my face anyway. Okay, they're going to stomp on me on Twitter. They're going to stomp on you. They're never going to let Georgia fans forget it. You never want to get behind Missouri. Trust me, these <laughs> fans. Once they have you, they own you. They never let it go because they don't have much else there. Georgia has yeah, to win this game. They're definitely getting no, on you after you said that. I'm just telling you, I, the Missouri, the show me people, when they show you, they never let you forget it. It's the show me state. They never let you forget it. This is a big one. This is a big one for Georgia fans. Now, the following week, this is a game. This is a team to me. If you're asking me what is the most losable game left of the regular season, I am going to say Old Miss, even though it is at Sanford Stadium, because I believe Old Miss is built like a team with a mobile quarterback with multiple weapons and a really good running back and Lane Kiffin, who has a great knowledge of the system. That to me is the scariest game. What say you, when you look at the rest of the regular season, Ole Miss or at Tennessee? You know, it's funny. I don't, I don't think this is real life here, but I, I do think I, this is worth mentioning. So the yellow jackets have only won in their even numbered games this season. So two, four, six, and eight. 10 is Clemson, 12 is Georgia. <laughs> now, I'm not telling you I think Georgia's going to lose to Georgia Tech, but Georgia Tech keeps beating these ranked opponents. And I just thought, I, I just saw that, and I thought it worth mentioning. But I do think if they lose, it'll be at Tennessee. 
I do think it'll absolutely be at Tennessee. Um, the like rowdiest environment that Carson Beck has started in was at Auburn. And trust me, I do think Auburn does a great job uh, for home games. And it was loud in there. But I, I do think it's going to be like twofold at Tennessee. Um, I think it's going to be super loud. And even though Tennessee's season is not what they wanted it to be, they would love nothing more than to upset Georgia's season. You know, they would love to, to run all over the dogs, uh, you know, quest for a three-peat. So to me, wow. I think that uh, even though Ole Miss, you know, with, with Lane Kiffin, you never know what he's going to do. I mean, you just don't. But for me, I say Tennessee would be the one that I think, okay, maybe Beck could get rattled, though he's shown that that is one thing about Carson Beck I like. He's so even keeled. And when you talk to him in interviews, Mike, I don't know if you would say this, but I think for somebody who's never done that much media – by far the most advanced player in interview sessions of any player I've covered in college football. He is terrific when it comes to interviews. He looks you dead in the eye. He smiles. He answers truthfully. You actually believe him when he's talking to you. And and he he sticks with you. He doesn't just dismiss you after a question. He sticks with you. He engages you, which I can't say about many players, nor can I say about players who – have not been around media that much, but Beck has improved every single week. And, and I truly think, I think he has a future in the NFL. I'm not saying he's going to start in the NFL, but he could be like a 10 year backup. He has a strong arm. He's a pocket passer. And, you know, Georgia might not like that because he doesn't run the ball probably as much as Stetson did, which Stetson did very well, dual third quarterback. But Carson, I think for the NFL, he is perfect for the league. Yeah. And I think there's more ceiling left. I, I mean, when I talk with Carson, the wheels are spinning, right? The, the guy's the guy's brain is operating at a different speed. You can feel it. You can sense it. He's like I said, he's a brilliant processor. He's got an NFL arm talent. You know, he's got a lot of the tools that Stetson didn't, quite frankly. And Stetson made the most of it with you know Stetson got better and improved greatly. But those mid-level passes, the consistency, the accuracy, the pocket—that wasn't his game, right? He was a playmaker, and that served him extremely well. But it was a very different style. Then Carson, you feel like Carson's in control. There's still a few fundamentals, holding the ball low, getting knocked down. You know, he, he made a couple throws earlier that maybe he shouldn't have. But I feel a very calm presence. And, you know, I'm actually, even though we, we, we just played that game of which team are they most likely to lose to, I'm actually now leaning towards an undefeated regular season. In the back of my mind, I always thought, like you, I hadn't seen quite enough to think they could run the table. But I'm sensing some momentum, and, and I think it had to do with Bullard and JDJ and the way that defense stepped up early. And I feel like the reemergence of Ty Tyrion Ingram Dawkins, I thought he made a really big play in these young outside linebackers. Or start, Jalen Walker, start, you're starting to see the young talent kick in. And this is what had to happen. I felt like the bye week, you just got like a plus 10 boost. I feel like this is a much better team than what we saw the first half of the season. And they feel engaged. I feel like they're going to beat Missouri. They're going to get over this hump. I think they're going to embrace Old Miss and Lane Kiffin. And, and Kiffin can't help himself. I think I think he's a very good coach, but I don't think he's as good a coach as Kirby. I think that one's going to go right down to the wire. And I think they're going to be able to do more at Neyland Stadium just because the Tennessee fans aren't as behind this team. It's amazing. I think their coach has done a good job without the skill players they had a year ago. And they're kind of grousing a little bit because the style is not as pretty. So I don't know if Nealon will be as rabid unless Georgia turns it over early. So I'm leaning towards an undefeated season. Last question for you, Emily. Really appreciate you sticking with me tonight. 
when you look at the college football playoff, and I've already played my hand, I've already told you I expect Georgia to be there. Who are your four teams in the college football playoff Ooh, this year? Well, I haven't even thought about that, but maybe I could say if I, I just off the top of my mind right now. I know you're going to say Michigan, so I'm going to go with you on that. I think Georgia and Alabama get in, so that means Alabama beats Georgia in the SEC championship game. Yeah, guys, that's what I'm thinking. Um, and then my fourth would be um, Ohio State maybe. No, Ohio State and Michigan no. play each other. So here's your choices. Florida oh, State, FSU. They you're run good. The table. That's good. FSU could work. Florida State. I think see, I Washington. think Washington is gonna lose another I think they're gonna lose another game, and I don't know that Oregon will. The question is here's a good question for you. If Oregon wins out and they've got one loss, and it was to Washington way back in the middle of the season, and they're a one loss Oregon, and Georgia's sitting there with one loss after the SEC title game, you think they're gonna take a one loss Georgia that just lost in the SEC? To me, this is where you get in trouble with two, and I'll tell you why. Because of that stupid Alabama loss to Texas, that gave the Big 12 the transitive properties edge to lose again. And, and they could use another Oklahoma loss, by the way, too. Because this college football playoff committee, Emily, I, I guarantee you tomorrow night, I, I guarantee it's a strong word. I'd be willing to bet that they're not going to have Georgia number one tomorrow night because of the metrics in the schedule. They just won't. They'll have Ohio State there because Ohio State has like a number 22 schedule. But this college football playoff committee – they make me nervous. I don't know. I've never really spoken to you about the committee. Do you do you like this committee? Do you like the way they decide this? Well, it's because the consistency isn't there with them either. <laughs> like you need to be consistent in why you're ranking people in certain situations. And people love to say like they always like to lean on the SEC because the SEC is the best conference, blah, blah, blah. But I don't always think it's true. Um, I do believe, though, Mike, that Georgia won't be number one and, and it will be because of the strength of their schedule. And, but I don't think that should worry any fans. I don't think any dog fan will be worried about that. Um, I don't think it, you know, like until the end of the season, who cares? Uh, but I mean, would you be upset if they're two or three tomorrow? I don't think they're going to be three, but I think it'd be great. I, I think yeah. it's one more thing for Kirby to, you know, you know, here it is, guys. You know, nobody believes in you. Like he's just waiting and looking for something to put on the wall, you know, that you have this doubter because they've carried <laughs> this number one ranking all year long. So I, I think Ohio state will probably be one. I think that Georgia, I know you, I know you like Michigan this year. You've told me. I do. I like Michigan to beat Ohio state. I do. Ohio state's quarterback play has not been. That impressive. was my bad. When I said Ohio state and Michigan, that's all right. Michigan, Michigan has beat everybody by 24 points or more. And they seem to have everybody's playbook, which by the way, a lot of people do this. A lot of people do the sign stealing, but if you get caught there, there's gotta be some sort of penalty. There's gotta be. You some will just go back to the NFL. Right. You know, and that's why they're talking about putting helmet mics in there. I don't know. I don't know. We didn't I didn't get too deep in the weeds with Kirby on that. Kirby's big joke was if Michigan was stealing signs, you know, he didn't see anything that would indicate that. Obviously, they curb stopped Michigan a couple of years ago. I'd like to see a Michigan-Georgia rematch this year. I think that'd be fun. But I'm going with Georgia, Michigan, Florida State, and I'm going to say Oregon because I think those big 12 teams will knock each other off. The ACC's lost a little bit of luster. I just don't think anybody can beat Florida State. And I think with their win over LSU, that's going to look real impressive. LSU-Alabama Saturday, it's going to be a really big game, probably going to decide the West. And then we'll see Georgia-Missouri, which I think will decide the East. I really do. So looking forward to it, Emily. And I'm looking forward to seeing you on ANF. I know you'll be at the game uh, this weekend. I appreciate you coming on the show. Any any parting thoughts? Any words of wisdom? No, I think Saturday's going to be the day. I mean, that's 
you can't get two better games on CBS, on ANF. Um, you've got, of course, Georgia Mizzou and then followed by LSU Alabama. I mean, you know, grab your popcorn, sit down. Whoever wins those two games are going to be playing here in Atlanta the first weekend in December. So that's I'm reading it just the way you are, even though, you know, there's two really important games for Georgia after that. I definitely think the dogs understand that this week has this game has to it has to be it. This you have to win on Saturday. Yep. This 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 audience will certainly be tuned in to ANF and they'll be watching you, Emily. Thank you again. Thank right. everyone in our audience for joining us tonight. We went a little bit longer, but. You know what, what? What can I say? Emily's got a lot of opinions. She's not afraid to throw them out there. I respect and admire that. Most TV people that I've dealt with in my career never want to say anything except go team. I appreciate having someone with an opinion, a learned and knowledgeable opinion that's been around. Emily, thank you very much to my producer, Michael Carvel. Thank you very much. Thank you all for watching. If you've got questions, put them in the comments or hit me up on Twitter at Mike Griffith 32. Have a great week, everybody. Good night.